This is the best day of the year. You know, I remember one year feeling really convicted because, uh, you know, I grew up, we had tons of family traditions around Christmas, and Christmas was like the day of days and all of that. And then I got, I came to know the Lord, and then I realized, wow, you know, there was a reason for Christmas, and I've never once really taken a whole lot of time other than my mom dragging me out for the sunrise service at our church and, uh, you know, an incense-filled church for um, Easter morning. And I never really paused to think that actually this was the whole, this was the whole caboodle. This was the reason for it. And I, so we began to do some things as a family, and I still don't feel like we do enough to really make a hoopla over the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the single most important event in human history, bar none. There is no thing, even objectively outside of faith, there is nothing that has changed the world more than the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He could have been just like any other teacher. There have been many great teachers. There have been many great prophets. There have been many miracle workers over the centuries of human existence. But there has never been somebody who predicted his own death and then rose again out of that grave with the power to have a resurrection on the inside. So today I want to walk you through the best message I have ever read preached on the resurrection of the dead. And it was done by the Apostle Paul himself. Because I think it's really important that we understand that we are not just those. You know, the, the choice of eternity is not heaven or hell. That, that's not what life is all about. That's not the gospel. Jesus only mentioned hell once. That's not the issue. The issue is life or death. I don't know about you, but that makes it feel more urgent to me. I used to be a lifeguard, and in training for the lifeguard service, I watched hours and hours of videos of people drowning. It sounds kind of morbid, but the purpose of it is to recognize when somebody's just messing around in the water and when they're really drowning so that you know to treat it with urgency. And if you're a lifeguard in a chair and somebody's drowning, that's pretty urgent. That is a get in the water, swim, put your life in danger because a drowning person will grab onto whatever they can and drown you in the process of saving themselves. But you go out with all urgency because somebody's drowning and somebody's dying. And at some point in my walk with God, I don't remember exactly when it happened, it occurred to me that I don't treat it with that kind of urgency when I know that somebody's walking completely distant and disconnected from God. And that is the most urgent situation that there is. Because there is the possibility, C.S. Lewis put it like this, he said, if I find something, a desire inside of me for something that I cannot find in this world, then I must conclude that I was born for another world. And there's this thing that was locked up, I'll never forget, uh, as a young boy, I think I might have shared this story recently, but I'm old enough now to tell the same story two weeks in a row and not remember, and that's fine. I was laying on the ground out at my uncle's place in Connecticut. It was the first time I'd been outside of New York City that I can remember. And I remember laying down in the field looking up at the sky. It was the first time I realized there's more than five stars. Because in New York City, that's about all you got. And I remember thinking, what's on the other side of the end of the stars? And my brain just shut down. You ever experienced something like that? Maybe you're smarter than me and you know what's on the other side of those things. But it just there, there's this thing of realizing that all of what I experience in life has a limit to it. And I can, my mind can't comprehend. I was just trying to talk about the resurrection with Taya the other day and trying to explain how God's outside the realm of time and we live in the middle of time. When did God begin? We didn't have a beginning. And it's just a, you know, makes your brain do that at some point in time. And the resurrection, the concept of the resurrection of the dead, the concept of life that lasts forever is a mystery. It's one of those things that to try to understand it with the mind 
We come to a place where it just melts down and it doesn't make any sense any longer. And it comes to a place of tapping into something that's on the deepest place of our heart because something in there knows there's got to be more than this. Something deep on the inside of everybody who's ever lived says there is no way. Life doesn't make any sense at all if it's just a temporary thing and then we die and that's the end of it. There's something in every human being. Do you know there's not a single culture that's ever existed in the world that didn't have some kind of a belief in an afterlife, some kind of belief in some God somewhere. And, and I remember I went through a brief stage when I was in college being a, a pseudo-intellectual agnostic, which just means I was really dumb at the time. And I shut down everything my heart knew to be true because I wanted to explore it all. So that's why I became a folklore major. I explored everything that I could think of because I was really curious what was out there. And I remember the day that it occurred to me, I was making fun of some Christians one day which was a pretty common occurrence. I had this one guy who was with some Bible evangelism fellowship or something like that, and every day my walk from the dorm to the lecture hall where I think it was Psych 101, he followed me, and every day he just happened to be walking the same place. I found out later on I was his project. And he irritated me so bad, I used to love when he pulled up because after I got tired of it, then I'd make fun of him for the rest of the walk. And God bless him, he never gave up. On me. I wish I could find him one day to tell him those seeds finally took root. But I remember um, saying to him one day, and I was a, like, I, I love biology, and I was a pre-med at the time, and I was all into it, and I said, you know, you, you Christians are just ridiculous. You believe that God just spoke, and everything came into being, and you know, and all of that. And he said, well, you, so where do you believe life came from? And so I believed in evolution at the time. So I believe, you know, uh, that, like I learned in bio class, it rained on these rocks for a long time and the sun and the radiation and all that. And then out of this ooze, this, this first cell came out and, the, and he's just looking at me. And as I'm saying it, it began to sound like, yeah, that does sound pretty crazy too. It began somewhere, and there's this thing on the inside and the hope of resurrection. Why, why Peter called it, thanks be to God, for the living hope. The living hope. There's something when you hear it, when you're able to put the mind behind and just say, you know what? Truth isn't always first understood with the mind. Sometimes truth's got to be experienced. Sometimes you've got to step into it. Like, uh, like a priest who was trying to reach me once said, some things have to be believed in order to be seen. And then all of a sudden, this whole new world opened up, and it's the world of resurrection. So if you've got your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to talk to you about a hope that's worth living for. Something that is, um, I didn't know I was going to do that, but that was pretty cool. <laughs> a hope that's worth living for. Because every other hope is something of, oh, that was kind of cool, you didn't, uh, I, <laughs> Every other thing that we put our hope in, <laughs> every other hope that we put our hearts invested in, either we're whistling past the graveyard, right? We're living life trying to distract ourselves, trying to just keep busy with day-to-day -day affairs until maybe an occasional funeral comes along. And then you stop and you watch somebody that you love going into that casket and being buried in the ground. And just for a moment, you remember, oh yeah, that's gonna be me one day. And then if you're like how I used to be, I kind of push that thought aside, where's the party? And then, then just move on from that because it's an uncomfortable thought. Well, why is that thought uncomfortable? Because of something on the inside that says there's no way that's all there is. 
but I don't know what it takes to get there, or I don't like the options that have been placed in front of me for what that means to have a life beyond the grave. Or we replace that belief with some things that we make up on our own, which are not any kind of hope whatsoever. Our entire faith is founded in this one simple fact, and it's either a fact or it's not, that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and then rose from the dead. Without that, there is no Christian faith. Without that, there is no gospel, there is good news, there is no real hope. You understand that when the Bible talks about hope, it doesn't mean like how, oh, I hope he likes me. It's not like that. That's not hope. Oh man, I really hope I get an A on that test. If you were me, that was a dead hope. That was a vain hope. I really hope, I, you know, but it's not like that. Real hope means it's already established and I'm just grabbing hold of it. So in my heart, I have something that I have yet to actually experience. In my heart, it's as if I've already experienced it before I get to it. And so Paul said this to those who were wondering about resurrection in his day. If Christ has preached that he's been raised from the dead, how is it that some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins, and those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if we have hoped in Christ only in this life, we are of men most to be pitied. So Paul's saying to the intellectual Greeks that received this, look, you guys think resurrection is such a crazy idea? I gotta tell you something. We're preaching resurrection. He said earlier in this chapter, 500 people saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. Some of them are still alive today. Go and ask them. There are live eyewitnesses to this. The entire New Testament were written by eyewitnesses or those who interviewed eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Without this event, we're a bunch of liars. Without Jesus rising from the dead. See, we don't think about resurrection a whole lot, do we? We don't preach resurrection a whole lot because it's a crazy idea, isn't it? That somebody goes into the ground, gets buried, and then rises up out of that place. That doesn't make any sense to the mind. It makes sense maybe to live with some disembodied spirit or something like that, but not to go into a grave and then come back out of it again to live forever. That doesn't make any sense. But here's the thing. If, if that's a true thing, then everything to do with the Christian faith has been the biggest hoax in all human history. Everything about it. It means Jesus was a liar. It means everybody who followed him, who preached Christ, was a liar. It means that the entire basis for it, how is it that people preached Christ after they were scourged and beaten, they were outcasts among their own people. They continued to do that until the end of their days. I remember a, an interview I saw with Chuck Colson. You remember him? I think he went on to be with the Lord. He was part of the Watergate scandal. He was in the Nixon White House, and he was one of the ones that did time for that. And uh, he was saying, the reason why I believe, I'm going to have to paraphrase him. He said, I believe the resurrection is true because I was you know, with a group of men who within three weeks, we all told what we did and we confessed 
under the duress of, you know, whether we're going to do life in prison or a few years in prison. There's no way that 12 men risking scourging, beating, mocking, persecution, even, even being crucified, no way they kept their story. If they were telling a lie, there's no way they wouldn't have cracked under that pressure. There's something really powerful about the truth of what those people saw in that day, the men and women who saw Jesus rise from the dead. So if all there is is this life, we are the most miserable people on the planet. What's the point of resisting sin in any way? if there's not something that we're building up on the inside that's of everlasting value? What's the point of being made fun of? You know, it's not cool to be a Christian anymore. There was a time where Christians kind of were at the peak of the culture. It's not anymore. Try it. Go out on somewhere public and try just sharing what you actually believe in Christ, actually believe in the Scriptures. It's not a popular thing anymore. We're of men most to be pitied. Why? Why are you sacrificing? Why are you laying down your life for all these other people? You should just eat and drink for tomorrow you die, which is how most of us used to live. Or at least I did, not you guys. You guys didn't do that. I did. And, and so the resurrection of Jesus is the central turning point of all human history. The resurrection, without it, our faith is completely useless. It's a lie, and Jesus is the greatest deceiver in all human history. So here's what Paul goes on. Now Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who fall asleep. Did you see how at first he said, without, without the resurrection, all those who die are perished. That means to be dead forever. That means there is no hope. You're not coming back out of that place but first fruits of those who are asleep. Asleep is a temporary condition. When Jesus said, he who lives and believes in me will never die, this is what he was talking about. Death has no hold on you anymore. There is nothing to fear about that grave, whether it happens five minutes from now or 50 years from now. There is nothing to fear about that place. It is a temporary condition because as I came up out of that grave, you're coming out of that grave too. There is nothing to fear. You can go to, a, to the next funeral and don't grieve as those who have no hope. Grieve is one who knows that, that one, that beloved that we just buried who was in Christ. I'm going to see that you, I'm going to see you again at that glorious family reunion. First fruits mean there's a lot of other fruits coming afterward, not fruit cakes, although there's a bunch of those too. First fruits means there's more fruits. That just means this is the beginning. This is the first one. Why? Since by a man came death, so also by a man comes the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, after that those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he's abolished all rule and power and authority, when he, for he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that will be abolished is death. So there is still an enemy afoot. Why is death still an enemy for us right now? Anybody ever lost somebody that you love? Anybody ever bury a friend? I, I did a funeral for one of my good friends just a few weeks ago. That was the most heartbreaking thing. Even the Son of God, standing in front of the tomb of Lazarus, seeing Mary and all the other, all the other people who loved Lazarus weeping. Even the Son of God who knew in just a few minutes, I'm going to say, Lazarus, come forth. He's going to live again. Even the Son of God was touched with the grief of what death robs from the people who remain behind. 
When you lose somebody you love to that grave, there is a grief that comes over. And so that there is still an enemy called death, but he's not an enemy in the sense of it has any victory over a saint of God, not anyone who has the life of God on the inside, not that kind of enemy, an enemy who robs and kills and destroys the things that we love. He's gonna destroy that enemy at the end. And so the hope of Christianity, the living hope of Christianity is that since Christ rose from the dead, all have been spiritually raised to life here and now will be bodily raised again to life at the last day. So there's a resurrection that happens now on the inside. We were once dead in our sins. Now we've been made alive in Christ. How does that happen, you might ask? I'm glad you asked because Paul already dealt with that. Someone will say, how are the dead raised? Well, what kind of body do they come? That's an interesting question. And if you read the accounts of Jesus rising from the dead, nobody recognized him. Isn't that weird? These people that were with him for three and a half years, this is Jesus. Now, he showed himself to Thomas. He's got the holes in his hands and his side. That's a freaky story. If you ever read that, you ever read that one? Thomas was there talking about, no, unless I put my hand in his side and touch his hands, and, and he's, telling, he's going on and on. The disciples like, and there's Jesus standing right behind him. He's like, go ahead, Thomas, stick your hand in my side. I don't know. I don't know if I'd want to do that. He came up, same body, but nobody recognized him. There was something glorious about Jesus when he came out of the grave that his closest friends couldn't recognize him. That's our destiny, saints of God. That's what it's going to be like. I got good news for you. You don't live forever as a disembodied spirit. I, I used to think this. I used to think, and the reason why I kept away from this faith was because I thought heaven is like, I'm going to be on clouds wearing a dress with a harp with a little golden frisbee on top of my head singing songs forever, and I wasn't interested. I thought, I don't, I don't know, man. I, li- I kind of enjoy some things about here. I like to live wild. I like to have fun. I like to laugh. That doesn't seem like a whole lot of fun. You know what the good news is? Everything we enjoy right now is always going to be there. Only it's going to be the only, the only enjoyment's going to be the kind that doesn't have sorrow on the other side of it. All right, like worshiping the porcelain goddess the next morning after you've had too much, as I did too many mornings. Like all the sorrow that comes with all the other things that we substitute for those things of eternal value, all of that gone. Everything that makes you shout, everything that makes you say, yeah, that'll be amazing. I don't know if we're going to skydiving or, you know, what there's going to be available. Maybe we won't need to. I don't know what, what it's going to be like, but everything we love about right now is going to be the same because this earth is ours. He's given it to us. And the news of resurrection is that God never gave up on plan A. You are not going to live forever as a disembodied spirit. We're going to live forever as Jesus is on the other side of the grave, a body that can't be corrupted, a body that's not subject to death any longer, a body that's so alive and so beautiful, so glorious that your own friends are barely going to recognize you. It's an amazing thing in the Garden of Eden. I don't want to go too deep into this, but Adam and Eve didn't even know they were naked. Do you know why? It wasn't because they were dumb and they didn't understand that you're supposed to wear clothes. Right? The, the creation story, all the accounts in Genesis 1 through 3, that's not some fable to explain why humans wear clothes today. They had their spirit on the outside. The, the spirit was not buried, dead, and gone on the inside. They were spiritual beings. Do you know that we're made body, soul, and spirit? The Lord God formed Adam out of the dust of the earth, the first human. He formed him out of the dust of the earth. He breathed into him the spirit 
And then he became a living soul. We are body, soul, and spirit, and so we will always be. What happens in the miracle of being born again is that the dead spirit on the inside comes back to life. He breathes in us again so that we're not subject to eternal death as it was in the beginning. And I don't know what it's going to look like, but it's going to be beautiful. You think think we've seen beauty? Wait till you see Christ in us, the hope of glory, when he's on the outside, no longer a hope but all the glory of what he's like. Think of the moment that you've been the most caught up in worship. I so appreciated that word that Dale had this morning about how God turns the worship right back and says, I'm singing the same song over you. Just think of how glorious Jesus is when you get caught up in worship. You're going to be able to say the same thing about one another. It's going to be that beautiful and that glorious. The resurrected Jesus is our destiny. He's the first fruits. He's like the prototype. My father-in-law used to do prototype wiring. Back in the day, he made circuit boards, and he would have like nine blueprints worth of diagrams that he had to connect the wires, and it had to be done just right. One wire off, the thing short circuits, and then the board doesn't work. That's about as much as I understand about it. But the prototype had to be made, and then everybody in the manufacturing plant could do their job based on that prototype. Once the prototype was done, the rest would be made the same. Jesus is like that prototype. How he is, so are we in the world. How he is is how we will be forever. So somebody asked, well, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come with? You, you dummy, that which you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. You all know about seeds, right? I'm learning now. Now that I live in farm country, I'm starting to figure it out. I actually planted my own seedlings this year just to try it out. About half of them sprouted. I'm getting better. I'm, I'm looking right at this. Right, half of them, it worked. I don't know what I did wrong. I put uh, Anyway, I even used peat. I don't get it. That what you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. A seed does not come to life until it gets sown in the ground. You could have those seeds forever. You, I have grass seed that's been sitting in my garage I just found for 10 years. I don't know if it'll work. I'm going to try it. Will it work? <laughs> Is it going to work? You don't think so? <laughs> I might have killed it. I don't know. It's had 10 hard freeze, hard freeze winters. But, but a seed in and of itself, it's nothing. That's you and I right now. You, I mean, you think some of us are beautiful. Some of us are really good looking and all that. Now, we're like a seed compared to what we're going to be. That acorn compared to an oak tree that it's going to turn into, that's just a, I mean, it's, it's cute, but it's an ugly little thing compared to the glory of that tree. Those seeds that you plant that come up in flowers, they're not much to look at when they're just little seeds. But once they go into the ground and they die to what they used to be, something on the inside of them comes to life and it's something glorious. It's a beautiful flower. Unless it's morning glory, then it's not beautiful. It's just annoying. But it's beautiful. Something goes in ugly, it comes out beautiful. As beautiful as we think humans are today, as much as we make a big deal about how great and beautiful and glorious we are, we're like a seed compared to what we're going to be in that day. God gives it a body as he wishes. Every seed has a body of its own, and so it is with us. So what matters is not the outside of a seed. It's what's on the inside that determines what it really is. On the inside of every seed, sorry for science class today, is something alive. It's actually called an embryo. There is something alive on the inside of a seed. And if you try to plant a seed that's dead on the inside, whether because you froze it or something happened to it, you could plant it in the ground and that's where it stays. It just dissolves, it decays, and it becomes part of the soil. But if that seed has life on the inside of it, 
Don't judge it by what it looks like on the outside. What matters is that there's life on the inside of it. Don't judge your life based on what's on the outside. I'm 32 years old in Christ, and I'm still working on a whole lot of stuff trying to make its way to the outside of what Christ on the inside is actually like, as beautiful and glorious and loving and peaceful, patient, kind, and and all of that that Jesus is, that's making its way to the outside. That's what we're like. Don't judge yourself by your behavior right now. Judge yourself by whether Christ is alive on the inside. Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. I'm not going to sing it. That's what's happening. So Paul said it. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. This is sown a perishable body. It's raised an imperishable body. It's sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body. For if there's a natural body, there's got to be a spiritual body. And so it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul, but the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. This is what it means to be born again. This is it right here in a nutshell. Jesus sat there with the teacher of teachers, the teacher of Israel, and he said it right to him. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. What the heck are you talking about, Jesus? I'm not going inside my mama. That's weird. He said, no, no, no. Unless a man is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. What is born of the flesh is flesh. But whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. So we were all born of the flesh. We all came out of a mama at some point. All of us were born that way. And this physical body without any life in it would be like a seed that goes in the ground. And that's the end of it. And that's, that's the end of life right there. But if the miracle of being born again, if we welcome that miracle into our lives, if we say on the inside, I want life, I want that more abundantly, Jesus said, I come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. I'm the bread of life. He said, he who eats of this bread even uh, will never die. He who eats of this bread will live forever. That there's got to be something that comes alive on the inside. That's the issue of life. Do you have life on the inside of you? Do you have a supernatural life? I'm not talking about being joyful and happy and cheerful. There's a lot of people that are that. I'm not talking about being generally positive about life. That's not life. I'm not talking about being the life of the party. That's not what life's all about. I mean, on the inside, there's something so supernaturally powerful that it can go into a grave and come back out again. That's what the life of Christ on the inside is. And that's what we have opportunity to do. The easiest thing in the universe is to just simply say, Jesus, I believe you died. You rose from the dead, and I want that life on the inside of me. How do I get it? And that begins a whole new world. You know, it's an amazing thing. We live this life for anywhere from, you know, one to, say, 120 years. And we make so much fuss, and we spend almost our whole life trying to take care of the day-to-day affairs of what it means to live in this world. You know, when am I going to drive? Where am I going to work? How am I going to live? What am I going to eat? All this kind of, what am I going to wear? Will I get likes on social media if I post it? You know, all of the, we live our life around this little thing, and it's, it's like the width of my fingernail in the amount of time that we're living here compared to from here to China. That, that's the amount that we give to just this little sliver of eternity that we have right now. And there's only one thing that needs to happen in this life, that we say, Jesus, I want your life in me. I want to be born again. I want to have whatever it is that you've got 
that caused you to go into that grave and come back out again, I need that life on the inside of me. That's the good news. That's the gospel in a nutshell. The gospel of the kingdom of heaven is not come to Jesus and he'll give you all these benefits. Not come to Jesus so you can have this and have that and have the other thing. It's come so that you can have life and that more abundantly. Come that you can have life. Come that you can begin to have a life that's more meaningful than anything that could be accomplished in the short amount of decades you have left. But something that's going to echo through eternity and you'll live to see it. You'll get to experience the fruit of your own labor. One day, that life that's on the inside of us will be visible on the outside of us. And so Paul finishes out like this. He said, I say this, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In the current condition that we begin this life in, we don't have the kingdom of God. There is just no possibility. It's an eternal, supernatural kingdom outside the bounds of the physical universe. Flesh and blood cannot inherit it, meaning you can't enjoy it forever. The perishable can't inherit what's imperishable. But behold, I'll tell you a mystery. We won't all sleep. Not everybody's going to die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the trumpet, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable and will be changed. Changed into what? Back into the beginning. And actually even better than it was in the beginning. Because this time, there's no other tree to eat from to bring corruption into paradise. This time, there's no temptation because that's all dealt away and done with. That's all finished with. It will be changed. For this perishable has to put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. So then will come to pass the saying that's written, death is swallowed up in victory. There's this day when there is no such thing as death anymore. We're going to talk about death as a thing of the past. You know what the greatest fear that people have is death. Every other fear comes back down to the fear of death. Every instinct that we have, fight, flight, or freeze, is all based on our, our body responds to the fear, my life might be in danger right now. I mean, it could be something like as a spider and we freak out like that. I'm not saying it's always rational. Did I, yeah, that's you. Or a snake for most all of you, right? It's not rational all the time, but all of our instincts are designed to preserve our life. It's a fascinating thing to preserve life. Because that's what we think. This is it. Life, I've got to preserve my life. Well, what if we knew that this life is just the beginning, that this is just like the seed stage, and all i got to do is get in that ground and die. And if I do, I'm going to sprout up into something amazing and eternal on the other side. Then death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? That's when we get to sing that song. See? Booyah! That's when we get on the other side of the grave. That's when we get to sing that victory song. Right now, we can have the peace of knowing that that's already our victory song. That it's just a matter of, almost makes you want to die tomorrow. I don't want any of you to, because you got a lot left to do here. Just saying. There's a lot of good work you have left to do. This world could still use a, a lot more heaven in it. So don't be in a hurry to go anywhere yet. And that's where Paul said, man, I'm, I'm torn. You know, I want to die. I want to be with Christ, but I want to stay for your sakes. And he's torn in this thing. We ought to feel that way because there's this longing on the inside. I bet it's what the seed and what the bulbs and what all those things that are below the soil when spring comes are feeling in their heart. If they have feelings, which I, I believe they probably do. 
They say, man, I can't wait to sprout out of the ground and show the world what I was really made for, to show the world what I actually look like because I'm ugly bulb below the soil right now. But I got a, do these grow from bulbs? Is that a lily? So the lilies below the <laughs> there's lilies below the soil saying, this is not me. There's something in the lily bulb that says, I know this isn't me. I was not born to be this ugly potato looking thing below the ground. This is not what I am. I just I can't wait for the day. And then all of a sudden that day comes and goes, doo, doo, doo. Springs here and Jesus is alive. That's what the, I think that's the purpose of the lily. And there it is. And that's this feeling that's on the inside. Every time we sing a song that talks about that day and talks about the resurrection, there's something on the inside. Here it is again. That just makes you know there's something in me that wants that. I can't wait for that day. I can't wait to see what all y'all look like in that day. It's going to be an amazing day. In the meanwhile, as sure as the sun rises, so Christ rose, and so it is with every one of us who are in Christ. Every day for the rest of your life, you look at that sunrise and remember, that sun's rejoicing right now. If you could anthropomorphize that, hey, see that, huh? If you could give the sun human character, my literature major daughter is sitting right here. If you could give the sun human characteristics, it's excited every day. It's not shouting and it's, it's not like Apollo pulling the sun. It's the sun's shouting. This is life. Every day I'm going to remind you the sun's rising. It's only going to get better from here. The psalmist put it, the path of the righteous is like the morning sun. It grows brighter and brighter till the fullness of day. It was so beautiful this morning being out there in the dead of night, darkest before dawn time of day. It was a little bit brighter than usual because there's a full moon. It's kind of cool when the Passover and Easter line up with each other. Passover is always a full moon. Did you know that? Well, there you go. There's your Bible trivia for the day. 14th day of Adar, two weeks after the new moon. That's a full moon. There you go. It was full moon, and the full moon was over here. Some nice wispy clouds, and then that little bit of purple on the skyline. And you just know, and there were no clouds in the way this year, and it's going to be a beautiful sunrise. And I don't know about you. I will wake up to see a sunrise anywhere in the world I am. When I was in Hawaii... We were on the wrong side of Big Island. I woke my poor son up. I dragged him out of bed at 3 a.m. to make sure we got to the other side of the island to see a Hawaii sunrise. Most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And every time we see a sunrise, there's the sun shouting. Don't forget that the sun, S-O-N, rose. And don't forget that you're going to rise too. This is your daily reminder. There's something else coming. And it only gets better from here. So until that day, when Eden finally gets restored, our ministry here in the world, the reason why we stay in this world, the reason why when we baptize people into Christ, we don't just hold you under the water. We go, blub, 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 see you in paradise. Blub, 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 blub. We don't do that because we're here in this world to bring the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom, this earth was not made for heaven and earth to be separated. That is a false belief system born in the pit of hell itself as if heaven has nothing to do with its own creation. No, this world was made to be one, heaven and earth together as one. That's why he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One day, it's like heaven and earth have been getting closer and closer, closer and closer. I don't know how close we are. I'm not going to predict. Anybody else tired of the predictions? I've been left behind like 48 times already in my, my Christian life. I'm getting tired. Anyway, they're getting closer and closer until that day, and it's the Garden of Paradise restored, and it's just like it was in the beginning, only better. 
because there's no chance it's ever gonna get ruined again. Everything that's ever caused grief in your life, everything that's been robbed from you, everything that's caused pain and agony, all the things you look at, the injustice, all of those things, they're gonna be no more because we're in this world to bring heaven and earth back together again. That's our ministry in the earth. Reconnect heaven to the earth that came from heaven's womb. And so therefore, my beloved, would you please stand? Sometimes my heart can feel it like it's already happened. A day when we're not reading headlines like the kind we read right now. A day when I'm not crying on someone's shoulder or someone crying on my shoulder because they just lost somebody they loved or because this tragic thing happened or they, they, you know, something grievous just came into a day when that's no longer gonna be the thing, when there's no sorrow or pain or mourning any longer because there's none of that left in God's beautiful creation. All of that's passed away. So therefore, my beloved brethren, this is your blessing of the day be steadfast it's an exhortation blessing be steadfast be immovable always be abounding in the work of the lord if you labor in the lord it's never in vain whatever it is that you're fighting the good fight for right now don't you quit now don't you let the darkness of Saturday night coming into Sunday morning make you think it's never going to get any better than this. Don't you let the current circumstance and what it looks like right now stop you from doing what everything in you knows you were born to do. Don't you let that discouragement, don't you let that sorrow that came your way, don't you let that failure after failure after failure to do the thing that's in you to do. Don't you let that stand in your way because your labor is never in vain in the Lord. It's never in vain. You may plant a seed in the ground and it might feel like I've been watching the soil for a month. I've been watching that soil for a year, 10 years, 50 years, and nothing sprung up yet out of that thing. If you planted it in hope, hope springs eternal. If you planted it in the Lord, it's going to bear fruit. There is no chance death cannot hold it any more than it can hold Jesus in that grave. You know why Jesus didn't need any help to rise from the dead? Because he already went into that grave of incorruptible seed. So you are, saint of God. So you are. And if you're here today and you're not confident about that, you don't have to leave this place not confident. You can leave this place today with the Lord just touching you the same way. I'm, I feel like I'm experiencing it all over again here. You can leave this place with the living God bringing life on the inside of you. It doesn't mean everything changes overnight out here, but it means everything in here changes and it only gets better from here. So would you all close your eyes for a minute? And if you would like right now to say, Jesus, I want that, uh, whatever this means about being born again, I may not understand it, but I want that. I don't want to experience anxiety. I don't want to experience fear. I don't want to be afraid of dying. I want to experience a joy that comes on the other side of that grave I'm destined for. Would you please put your hand in the air so I could pray with you? Thank you, Jesus. Let life and that more abundantly come to every one of these hands that's raised right now. Let this be the last day. 
Let, let you now become, may you now become the redeemed of the Lord who cometh singing unto Zion. And everlasting joy be upon your head right now. You will obtain gladness and you'll obtain joy and the sorrow and mourning will flee away. That's your destiny from this moment onward. Jesus, I agree with the prayer even now that's coming up out of these hearts. Would you come now and make these precious lives your dwelling place? May this be their resurrection day as we celebrate your resurrection day. That this would be the last day that you live without hope. But this is the day that hope comes alive in your heart. A hope that goes beyond the grave and springs up into eternal life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. The angels of heaven are rejoicing right now, and I just feel the need to also. Praise God. Welcome to the family. If you put your hand up, would you please come and see me before you leave today? I just want to give you, well, I'm going to tell you now, actually, because you're going to get surrounded by a bunch of people who love you, but connect with the church, follow through with somebody, and we'll help you walk it out because you don't just plant the seed in the ground. You water it, you care for it, you pull the weeds around it, I'm learning all these things. You do all of that and cultivate that seed, and it's going to be something beautiful. You're not going to recognize yourself by the end of that journey with Jesus. For the rest of everybody, God bless you. Happy Resurrection Day. Go and live in the power of that resurrection every day this week and for the rest of your lives. Love you.